0: You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The Holy Spirit of God was going to
1: be poured out from above and descend down upon them and they would be baptized, that means submerged, drenched if you would like, dunked into the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is poured out and Jesus pours the Spirit out, John the Baptist said, in full measure, nothing held back. The sound of the mighty rushing wind filling the whole house was the sign that the Spirit had come, the wind being the symbol of the movement of the Spirit.
0: Do you know what it means to be all in? It's like when you're going swimming. You can either just kind of get your toes wet and splash around a bit, or you can go all in and fully submerge yourself from head to toe. When you're all in, you're completely immersed in the water. It's all around you everywhere. In today's message, Pastor Tom teaches us about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, what it means to be fully immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you all in? Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, endowed with power from on high. I'll begin
1: today by reading the text. Acts 2, Day of Pentecost verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Jesus declared that he came into the world to give us life. He said the kind of life that he gave was more abundant than anything that the world could offer. Unfortunately, though, as Christians, our experience of that more abundant life depends on, or sometimes we might say is held back by, our lack of developing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We are meant to experience the fullness of life because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus testified to that very thing in John chapter 7. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Think about that. From your innermost being. Do you have that? Do you know... Christ and God are on the inside of you so that from the inside of you flows this living water, this moving, flowing, gushing water. You know, the Holy Spirit is essential to everything we do as a church and as believers. He's called the Spirit of Life. That's because He causes us to be born again and He grants us life. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He teaches us divine knowledge through the Word of God that He inspired He is called the Spirit of Christ, and because of that, he unites us to Christ and teaches us how to be like Christ. He's called the Holy Spirit because he sanctifies us and shows us that sin is not so wonderful as we used to think. He is called the Spirit of your Father because inside us, the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and testifies and assures us that we are children of God and heirs of great promises. That is why the Holy Spirit is called and described as living water. He's described as a fountain gushing up within us. He's described as a drink that satisfies much better than Gatorade or anything like that. Life as a Christian is life in the spirit and the spirit in us did you know that we heard the gospel preached to us by the holy spirit first peter chapter 1 verse 12 did you know that we confess jesus as the christ because of the work of the holy spirit in our life first john chapter 4 and verse 2 did you know that when we pray we pray in the holy spirit according to jude and verse 20 This is why, for our third message now, we are studying our relationship with the Holy Spirit and praying that God will deepen it. Over the first two messages, if you heard them, we studied the Holy Spirit's work pre-Pentecost, what he was doing in Old Testament times, under the Old Covenant, and even before that, under the Abrahamic Covenant, and even before that, all the way back to the creation of the world. We talked about that. Last time, we talked about what happened on the day of Pentecost, describing these signs and what they meant, and what actually happened on that day, why God chose the Jewish Feast of Pentecost. Today... We began learning what's more applicable to us, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit post-Pentecost, because you and I are post-Pentecost believers. We are that, and it is our privilege to live in post-Pentecost times, because the work of the Spirit of God in our times is greater than in previous times. We're told that the Spirit of Jesus literally came rushing into this world from the throne of God and ushered in an entirely new age of how God would be dealing with man. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. That's communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. So we begin today by looking at the first work of the Holy Spirit for the new age, and that is the baptism with the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, as many say. The first work of the Holy Spirit in the post-Pentecost age is the baptism of the Spirit, and you need to see it. Look back at the first four verses, because this is exactly what happened in this text. Focus on verse 2, and you'll see that it tells us that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house, and the sound really poured out into the streets of Jerusalem. Then you look at verse 4 and it says, with this sound that came, all of the people that were in that house, they were full of the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself, what happened? We're not told all that happened in verses 1 through 4. You have a historical writing here, but as to all of the doctrine and all of the work of the Holy Spirit, you have to keep reading into the rest of the New Testament and dig it out and say, oh, so that's what happened. And that's what we're going to do a little bit of as we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit for believers in New Testament times. I'll tell you one thing that happened here. These disciples were immersed into the spirit of Jesus. They were made instantly to transition from being believers under the old covenant into believers under the new covenant. Now they were no longer a band of disciples following a Jewish rabbi around. They were actually now all joined together because of the work of the Holy Spirit and connected immediately to their head, who is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, Jesus our Lord. They became on this day the body of Christ on earth. This was the birthday of the church. And part of their experience of that baptism with the Spirit is what is written about there in verse 4, and that is the fullness of the Spirit. They would not have had the fullness of the Spirit if they hadn't had the baptism with the Spirit. The baptism, in other words, caused the fullness, or at least enabled there to be this fullness. Look back to chapter 1 and verse 5 just to remind us of what we've learned through Acts already. You notice that on Ascension Day, Jesus told them they were all about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Already had their water baptism. They didn't need that. Their baptism with the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, the baptism involved clothing them with power from on high. So he was talking about the baptism of the Spirit. It was one of the most important things he said to them before he left this planet. And so the Holy Spirit of God, who is a person, but who functions at times like he is an element, an element of water or an element of air or an element of fire. But remember, he is a person also. The Holy Spirit of God was going to be poured out from above and descend down upon them and they would be baptized. That means submerged, drenched, if you would like, dunked into the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is poured out, and Jesus pours the Spirit out, John the Baptist said, in full measure. Nothing held back. The sound of the mighty rushing wind filling the whole house was the sign that the Spirit had come. The wind being the symbol of the movement of the Spirit. Now keep in mind, whenever we're studying an historical portion of God's Word, Old Testament or New Testament, and the book of Acts is history. We need to go to those didactic and teaching sections of the Bible to understand the historical part accurately. People get into trouble when they read something in history and then they begin to think things about it that are not according to the teaching of the New Testament. And so we have to do that. We have to go to the epistles. We have to go to the teaching, to the direct statements in the Bible to understand all that happened here here on the day of Pentecost. And to do that, and to understand the doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit, you can keep your pinky or whatever you want in Acts 2, but I want you to turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and to chapter 12. Because something is written in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, that's important for us to know and understand about the baptism with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. You know chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians as the great body of Christ. Chapter You read all about the different parts of the body and how they have need of one another. And we cannot say to any member that we have no need of you. It talks about how we're many different members and we have different gifts of the Spirit. But every gift of the Spirit is needed to make up the whole body. And the body is to work in in unity because the body is one. That's what we are as a local church. That's what we are as a universal church as we're connected to that. But 1 Corinthians chapter... Twelve and verse 13, and really backing up to verse 12, talks about the baptism with the Spirit and how that connects to the body of Christ. If you start in verse 12, it says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. He's saying, look at your human body. You have a lot of different members in it. You could describe all those different members. They have different jobs to do. But you're one body, You're not two bodies or three bodies, you're one body, so also is Christ. That is the body of Christ, the church. Many different members, one body. As different members, we have different spiritual gifts. Some of them are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, not all of them. You'd have to go to Romans 12, you'd have to go to Ephesians 4 and other places to add up all the different kinds of spiritual gifts that are given to the body of Christ in New Testament times. But verse 13 is the linchpin, really, to the entire chapter. It tells us how all of these spiritual gifts and all the different members fit together. How they actually came together in the first place. How he came to become the body of Christ. And it points to this wonderful and precious work of God called spirit baptism. Spirit baptism. It says, for by one spirit. Now we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. For by one spirit, I think actually that preposition in Greek is better translated in one spirit, or I even like with one spirit. The ESV has in one spirit, but even with one spirit would be, I think, very accurate. For in one spirit or with one spirit, we were all, please notice the all there, no exclusions, we were all baptized, past tense, into what? One body. How did we get into the body of Christ? How did we get into the church? Answer, spirit baptism. The baptism with or in the Holy Spirit placed us into the body of Christ. Beloved, these words are critical to understand. Look at that word for there at the beginning of verse 13. It explains the truth in verse 12. Verse 12 says we are all put into the body of Christ. Verse 13 says for spirit baptism put us there. So Paul is teaching that it is our common spirit baptism. By the way, not for some believers, not for a third of the body of Christ, not for the special elite Christians, not for those only in churches called Pentecostal churches, but for everyone. We were all, notice, baptized. And that spirit baptism assures us that despite the different races, here, as mentioned, Jew or Greek, in our time we see other other ethnic groups, despite our different social standing, slave or free, we are all inside the same body. Isn't that wonderful? The one Holy Spirit made the one body of Christ. In fact, Paul writes this very thing. In Ephesians 4, he says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. How important it is to be preserving the unity of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit wants. There's no doubt about that. Be diligent to present the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? For there is one body and one Spirit. He puts those back to back because it's the Spirit that formed the body. I was able to take a long walk on the beach this past week, look out over the vast ocean. I thought there's a lot, of, a lot of creatures down in that ocean, a couple of dolphin tails, you know, and fins popped out there a little bit. But there are a lot of things in a vast, vast ocean. What we see from the, from the shore is not very much of the ocean at all. What an immense and vast thing the ocean is. And you look over it, and you think, think of all the creatures, the millions, billions of creatures that are swimming around and live in that. It's humongous. Just as they are all in the same ocean, we are all in the same ocean called the Holy Spirit. We live and move and serve in that water of the Spirit. That Spirit is our environment. And Spirit baptism is what joined every one of us to one another and joined every one of us to Christ our head. Now, you might say, but pastor, I thought that I got into the body of Christ when I got saved. I believed in Jesus and I got saved. I repented of my sins and then they told me I was part of the body of Christ. That's correct. They did not lie to you. But you need to understand what particular work of God happened at the time of your salvation that placed you into Christ. You got into the body of Christ by the vehicle of spirit baptism. And for these men, listen to this who were already saved in Acts 1 and back in the Gospels and already had their water baptism. Spirit baptism for them brought them from the Old Testament and put them into the New Testament. You say, I thought the New Testament started in Matthew chapter 1. Well, yes, it does. But New Testament times, the covenant, the new covenant that we're under, doesn't happen. The stipulations don't happen until Christ is crucified, the blood is applied to our sins, and then the Spirit comes and, according to prophecy and promise of God, forms the body of Christ. And that really is the beginning of the new covenant, right there, for us. Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? What? Save sinners. Good answer. How about to die for sin? Would that, would that be a passing grade? Used to be a fourth grade teacher, so I like giving quizzes. How about this? To love and to heal. To reveal the invisible God. All the above. Those are good answers. But of all the things that John the Baptist could have said that Jesus came into the world to do, to accomplish... He singled out this one fact in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. He said, there is one coming mightier than I. I I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his the thong of his sandals. I baptize with water. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. He came into the world. And John the Baptist said, this is what he came to do. He came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Spirit baptism is no lesser work of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that. John the Baptist said Jesus Christ came into the world to do this. I bet you that one gets missed on a lot of biblical quizzes. It's often overlooked. Spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is so crucial to all that we are as a church and what we intend to do. Remember, the primary instruction that Jesus gave to the disciples after his resurrection, after his 40 days, he's on the 40th day. And all the things he would say you could go do to begin to prepare, to you know, be the church and to witness and make sure the gospel gets to the end of the earth. He basically told them, look, don't mess this up. Just, just stay in Jerusalem. Just don't, don't talk too much. Just... Stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And then things will get going. That's important. Do you see that? That is so important. John the Baptist said this. And Jesus also said this. We desperately need to learn to depend on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We say, I pray to God the Father and I thank him that he is my father. You know, my father died when I was 26. I I buried him on my 27th birthday. And, uh, I knew that when my father, my earthly father died, I'd always have a heavenly father. Yes? Always. They really, I felt my job as an earthly father is to make sure before I die, my kids understand they have a heavenly father. And that's great. I'm not taking anything away from God the Father Almighty, okay? We hear a lot about that. And then there's Jesus Christ, our Lord, he who is God eternal and became a man and lived among us and died on a cross for us and broke the shackles of death and ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. We sing the praise of Jesus. Yes, that's good. But let us not forget. That when God chose to be intimate with us, he chose as the third member of the Holy Trinity that it is he who comes to reside and live inside of you and make your body a temple of his Holy Spirit. That he decided to tie you to the other two members of the triune Godhead through the Holy Spirit. He is that important to you and me and we should should be developing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, churches have erroneous ideas about spirit baptism. It's so important. You'd figure that Satan would get his fingers in on some of that, right? I mean, people mess up the death of Jesus, yes? They mess up the resurrection of Jesus. How do you mess up the resurrection of Jesus? He was dead and he rose again, you know? Well, he had a spiritual resurrection. No such thing. It was a bodily resurrection, okay? That's what it was. They messed that up. They messed up the virgin birth. I oh, it was just a myth. And it comes to this as well, and churches, unfortunately, can mess this doctrine up as well. I need to mention some of these two so that you're not sidetracked or deceived. Indeed, I think because of some of these errors, believers like in our churches, our kind of churches, we're non-charismatic churches, we're Bible churches, you know. We teach the Bible. We love the Bible. Bible's in our name. We listen to the Bible a long time. But believers in churches like ours often avoid the topic of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid they're going to be lumped in with the Holy Rollers. They're afraid they're going to be lumped in with the gibberish that is spoken in some of those places and then attributed to the Holy Spirit of God. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, beloved, this is our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is our doctrine. This is our blessed doctrine. This is for us. No one should steal it from us. No one should rob our joy of experiencing what we're supposed to experience. Now, some of the churches, you might say, one of the errors that people bring to this doctrine is to tell believers that they need now to be seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit after they get saved. You might have heard that. I was in a church that taught that. I was taught that early on in my Christian life. You're saved, but now you need a second thing. And the second thing you need is the second blessing. And this really comes out of Wesleyan kind of theology. That's a sermon for another day. But there's just two steps that you have. First, you get saved. Then you need some other kind of a step. The Pentecostals say the second step that you need is the baptism of the Spirit. Look what happened to the disciples. They were saved. period of time happened. Then they're baptized in the Spirit. So you need to reproduce that now as well. That's what they think. They believe only some Christians have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I guess it's them and not us, you see. The disciples were saved way back in the Gospels. They started following Christ, but then you come to Acts. Then they were baptized with the Spirit. We need to reproduce that. They misunderstand the historical nature of the book of Acts. This is history. It's written as history. It's to be interpreted as history. Spirit baptism came at a certain time on the day of Pentecost, we covered this, to create the church, to usher in a new age. There is no church in the four gospels. In Matthew 16, Jesus promised, I will build my church, future tense. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It didn't exist yet. Acts 2 is the birthday of the church. First, the Jews were baptized in the Holy Spirit so that they were put into the body of Christ. That's what we're reading about in Acts chapter 2. All 120 were Jews. Then, the Samaritans, who are they? They're half Jews and what? Half Gentile, right? The Jews had a hard time thinking they're going to share all the glories of the kingdom with anybody else. It's their kingdom. Gentiles are terrible. Samaritans are worse, compromisers. But then you read in Acts chapter 8, these half-Jews are baptized in the Holy Spirit and placed into the body of Christ. That's history happening. After that, you never hear of that being repeated among Samaritans. Then you get to Acts 10, and Peter has this amazing experience with Cornelius, and it's the completely non-Jews, the Gentiles and they are baptized into the body of Christ to join the Jews and the half-Jews who are already in there to make it one body, one spirit, one body. And that's what you're reading unfolding in the book of Acts. Even in Acts 19, there's a little splinter group. These are followers of John the Baptist, and they love John the Baptist. They, they were talking about John the Baptist, and Paul run, bumps into them and like, but have you heard of Jesus, and have you heard of the Holy Spirit? So we haven't heard of it. And they were brought into the fold as well, and signs were given to the Jews to understand. They too... We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. These are historical unfoldings that happened. They're one-time happenings to put us into the body of Christ.
0: There are many viewpoints and opinions of who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is in our lives. But as Pastor Tom reminded us in today's message, there's so much for us to learn about the Holy Spirit from Scripture. Acts chapter 2 was just the beginning of his work in the life of the church. Knowing our history as the church is a great place to start as we grow in our walk as Christians, with the Holy Spirit as our teacher and guide. We're so glad you joined us today on Discover Hope. We'd like to meet you, so if you're in the area, come visit us at Hope Bible Church. Our Sunday mornings include Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., followed by a worship service at 11 a.m. You can find out more at hopebible.org or give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to invite you to join us in bringing the kingdom of God and the joy of salvation to our listeners by becoming a financial partner of Discover Hope. Find out more under the giving tab at hopebible.org. As we continue to study this fascinating and integral subject of the Holy Spirit, be sure to join us next time as Pastor Tom teaches us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are lots of opinions on what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, but we'll be sure to take a deep dive into what the Scripture teaches us. We hope that as we immerse ourselves into this study, your understanding will grow and your walk with God will be strengthened. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.